0: Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Christmas is right around the corner, so we want to invite you to join us for Christmas with Collective. This year, we will be hosting three identical Christmas services starting on December 23rd at 5 p.m., and continuing on December 24th at 4 and 6 p.m. It's going to be a great night, so we want to encourage you to grab your family, your friends, and your neighbors and come celebrate with us. Now let's get into Sunday's message. Every December, the music app Spotify puts out their Spotify Wrapped, uh, which is what you listened to over the past year. And So last week was when it came out. How many of you did it? You got your Spotify rap. You shared it on social media. You're very proud of the music you listen to. I'm guessing Taylor Swift was probably in your top five. She put out a new album. Uh, you know, and this is one of the things that people love to do. They they love to share the music that they listen to. And I genuinely believe that what you listen to says a lot about who you are. For example, my number one song this year was a Christian hip-hop song called My Favorite Part by a rapper named Peabod. It's actually one of the ones that we have on our our playlist because I put it on there because I like it so much. The number two song, though, for me this year was Surface Pressure from Encanto. (laughs) Number three, I know. Listen, I'll get to that in a second. You'll be all right. Number three was a song called Been About It by Andy Minion Lecrae, another Christian hip hop song. And number four was The Family Magical from Encanto. (laughs) So you can see what this says about me, right? It says, I have kids who like to hyper fixate on their favorite Disney movie, and this year they loved Encanto. It also says that I have no control in my life over what I listen to when I'm driving my kids around. Spotify also said this year that my vibe was sad boy angst rebellion, (laughs) which I guess is what you get when you put hip hop and worship and early 2000s emo and Disney uh, together on repeat all year long. And honestly, I'm not going to argue with that. Like for those of you who know me, you're like, yeah, I've had to pick a phrase. It's sad boy angst rebellion. But one of the things I didn't expect from my Spotify rap this year was my top podcast. I, I love podcasts. I'll talk about podcasting all the time. I've got my go-to for true crime. I've got multiple podcasts that I listen to for sports. Uh, I've got a few podcasts that I listen to just for like random stories or random facts. But I also have a group of pastors that I listen to on a regular basis because that is one of the ways that I own my growth as a pastor. As you know, I don't get the same opportunity to go to church on Sundays, to take notes, to listen, to really wrestle and grow. And so one of the things that I do is I make sure that I listen to at least one sermon a week from pastors that I personally know and respect. And these are guys that challenge me and push me to be a better follower of Jesus. And so while many of you probably had collective in your top five podcasts, I had a few other churches that my friends lead in my top five. And occasionally, uh, while I love everything that they do and I feel challenged by every sermon that they preach, occasionally I will hear one that stops me in my tracks, like that completely forces me to pause, to stop doing what I'm doing, to focus and listen, to write things down, because they're just so challenging. And over the course of the past year, of all the ones that I listened to, there was one sermon that hit me the most, and it was from a friend of mine. And this sermon made me feel uncomfortable and challenged at the same time. And so I was putting together this series. I couldn't get this sermon out of my head. And so with the help of my friend Carl, whose sermon had a huge impact on me, I'm gonna teach on a topic um, that really shook me this year and, and really pushed me this year. And it's one of these topics that I believe is key to changing the world. And what I wanna do is I wanna jump right into scripture. We're gonna be in the very last book of the Bible, a book called Revelation. And this book was written by a guy named John. He was one of Jesus's closest friends. Uh, Going back to what we talked about a few weeks ago, John was in Jesus's crew, John was the family that Jesus chose to be around. And toward the end of John's life, he actually gets exiled on the island of Patmos, which is right off the coast of Greece. And he gets exiled there because he refused to deny the resurrection of Christ. And this makes sense because when you read in the Gospels, you realize that John was there. He saw Jesus die on a cross. He saw Jesus get buried in a tomb. He saw the resurrected Christ. And because John refused to deny all of this and his faith in Jesus, the Roman emperor at the time, Domitian, who hated Christians, sent John to this island to be a slave and to die. And while John is there, he gets a revelation or an unveiling from Jesus. And so we're going to read part of this revelation starting in chapter 21. And it says this in verse 1. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And so this is a vision for the future. This hasn't happened yet. But Jesus is telling John, write this down, because one day, this is what's going to happen. Verse two says, "'And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, "'coming down from God out of heaven, "'like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband.'" And this is imagery that we see throughout the Bible. He talks about the church as the bride of Christ, right? And he's saying that heaven is coming down to earth. Verse three says, "'I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, "'Look, God's home is now among his people. "'He will live with them and they will be his people. "'God himself will be with them.'" And so what he's describing is the end of time, right? This is how it's all going to end. And the next verse is probably the most famous verse in the book of Revelation. It says this in Revelation 21.4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And so here's the first thing to write down. Heaven is real. heaven is real this is what jesus is talking about he's saying there's this time that's going to come when heaven comes down to earth and there'll be no more death and there'll be no more sorrow and there'll be no more crying we talk a lot at collective about how jesus doesn't just save us for heaven that he also helps us with the life that we're living right now that's why we spent this fall talking about how god can use our stories no matter how broken or messy they are. That's why we spent the weeks leading up to Thanksgiving talking about how we can manage our family drama. But at the end of the day, the thing that drives us is heaven. This is why the book of Revelation is in the Bible. It's to tell us that at the end, God wins, that justice wins, that his love wins, that one day there'll be no more pain or death or suffering. Verse four, in my opinion, is one of the most encouraging verses in the entire Bible, right? And if it doesn't give you hope, and if it doesn't give you joy, and if it doesn't give you encouragement, I don't honestly know what will. But the day is coming when pain and brokenness will be gone forever, because heaven is real. And Jesus tells us that heaven is coming. Jumping ahead, a few verses to verse eight, it says, but cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshippers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now, we don't like that part, right? This is not something that we wanna read on Sunday morning. In fact, I keep track of every verse I preach in every sermon at Collective, over the past five years, it's well over 3,000 Bible verses, and I've never used this one before, ever. But here's the second thing I wanna point out. Hell is real. And this is what Jesus is telling us, hell is real. Now, we don't like to talk about this, right? In fact, we'd rather skip over this part of scripture. And currently, one of the trends in Christianity is that a lot of Christians have decided to remove the idea of hell from their beliefs altogether. But just so we are clear, If hell was mentioned one time in the Bible, we would still absolutely believe that it was real. But the thing is, it's mentioned way more than that. In fact, Jesus talks about it all the time. He says that hell is a place of eternal torment in Luke 16. He says it's a place of unquenchable fire in Mark 9. He says it's a place where people gnash their teeth with anguish and regret, Matthew 13. He says it's a place of no return even to warn loved ones in Luke 16. He calls hell a place about our darkness, Matthew 25. And he compares it in Matthew 10 to Gehenna. Now, Gehenna was a city dump outside of the town of Jerusalem. So what he's saying is that hell is a place of decay and death. In fact, Jesus talks more about hell than he does heaven. And he describes it more vividly. Author C.S. Lewis once said that heaven is the place for people who say, God, your will be done. But hell is the place for people to whom God says, your will be done. And here's what he means by this. In eternity, you experience the fullness of what your life reflected and what you actually wanted. So if you say, God, I can't live without you, then your eternity is the full experience of the full presence of God. But if you say on this earth, God, I don't want to have anything to do with you, then your eternity is God granting you what you wish for all along, which is complete separation from him. Hell is real. Now we skipped over a little bit. Uh, So let's go back to the part that makes us feel good. Verse five says this. It says, and the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is the great hope of Christianity. This is grace. this echoes something that Jesus said during his ministry In the book of John, same John who wrote the book of Revelation, there's a story where Jesus goes to the well for water. And while he's there, he meets a woman and they start to have this conversation. And Jesus says to her, I can give you water to drink that will never leave you thirsty again. I can give you a water that will bring eternal life. And I just love this imagery because we've all been in the place where we've been outside on a really hot day and we're just dying of thirst, right? We just need water. But what Jesus says is that, I am the thing that quenches your soul's thirst. And what we read in Revelation 21, 6, that Jesus gives this soul-quenching water freely, because the gift of grace is free. Jesus died in our place. And we all have this darkness inside of us. Paul says in Romans, the good I want to do, I don't do. But the things that I don't want to do, that is the evil that I do. I mean, the fact is, like, I am a sinful person. We are sinful people. We constantly choose to walk out of alignment with God and we choose our own way. And we are destined to hell if we are left to our own vices. But God gives grace freely so that we can spend eternity with Him in heaven. And so here's the third thing to write down grace is real. I wanna remind you of some of my favorite quotes about grace, we, we talk about this all the time. Philip Yancey said that grace means there's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Pastor Tulian Chavidian said that grace is so offensive that if you're not offended by it, you probably don't understand it. Grace is life-changing and life-giving. Grace doesn't make demands, it just gives. Grace is recklessly generous. It doesn't use sticks, carrots, or time cards. It doesn't keep score. Grace is love that seeks you out when you have nothing to give in return. Grace is love coming at you that has nothing to do with you. Grace is being loved when you are unlovable. It's a one-way love. And Jesus came to liberate us from the weight of having to make it on our own, from the demand to measure up. He came to emancipate us from the burden to get it all right, from the obligation to fix ourselves, find ourselves, and free ourselves. Jesus came to release us from the slavish need to be right, rewarded, regarded, and respected. And because Jesus came to set the captives free, life doesn't have to be a tireless effort to establish ourselves, justify ourselves, and validate ourselves. That is grace. The way we talk about it here is that grace is endless second chances. And the reason why this matters every day, but more so right now, is because that is what Christmas is all about. It's to be reminded that God loves us so much that he sent his son into this jacked up world as a vulnerable baby and that he did that for us. And the reason why Christmas is a big deal is grace because it's not God waiting for us to somehow find our way back to him, it's God coming down to seek us out and to lead us back to him. That is the good news that brings great joy for all people. That is world-changing. That is why this time of year matters so much. It's not gifts, it's not lights, it's not Hallmark movies, it's grace. So in light of all of that, what do we do? Because we're in this series right now called How to Change the World, and that's what we want to do, but how do we do that? Well, we've said for years at Collective that the ultimate win is baptism. And the reason is because Jesus teaches us that the way that we accept this grace is to believe and get baptized. Matthew 16 says this, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. this is why we talk about it so much. This is why we started this series by talking about baptism last week. It's why every single Sunday, you will hear somebody from Sage say, check the baptism box on your connection card if you want to accept that free gift of grace. But look at what Jesus says next, This is the verse that we tend to skip. It says this in verse 16, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Jesus is talking about hell. And so he tells us to go into the world and tell everybody about this good news. Tell your family, tell your neighbors, tell your coworkers, tell everyone that heaven is real and hell is real and grace is real. And the hope is that they believe They put their faith in Jesus and then they get baptized. That's why we talk about this topic so much. That's why our team on Sunday mornings, before they serve, they walk past the wall. It has 122 pictures on it because it's 122 baptisms we've celebrated as a church. That is why when somebody gets in the trough at collective, we go nuts because it's a reminder of the most important thing. It's a reminder of someone crossing from death to life. It's a reminder of why we exist. In the light of this, we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing to bring this good news to the world? Because we can talk about grace all the time. Right? I can preach on grace all the time. You can sit and listen and feel what we're talking about all the time. Right? And I get that there are times when you metaphorically crawl into this space on Sunday mornings and you just say to God, God, I'm dying of thirst, and I just need a drop of living water to get me through this next week. And I get that. But the way that we change the world isn't just talking about the good news, it's by bringing the good news and great joy to all people. And so we have to wrestle with this question, what are we doing to make that happen? In other words, in order for someone to get baptized, they have to be here and hear the gospel. But before they're here, how do they get here? We have to invite them. So what are we doing to get people here? Now, I'll be more specific. We have years of data that shows that the best time to bring somebody to church is Christmas. It's easier right now than any other time of the year. At Collective, we also have data that shows that three out of every four people that come to Collective show, show up because they've been invited by somebody else. It's not, it's not social media. It's not the Frederick News Post writing good articles. It's invitation. So who are you bringing? Who are you bringing to Christmas Eve this year? because if we want to change the world, this is the easiest way to do it. And just so you know, and I'm biased, but I think our Christmas Eve services are amazing every year, but it's gonna be even better this year, right? We'll we'll sing some Christmas carols for those of you uh, who are waiting for that. (laughs) Just on Christmas Eve. (laughs) (laughs) But we'll do a hot chocolate bar. Collective Kids is gonna be amazing as usual. We have multiple baptisms on on the 23rd that we're gonna celebrate. Christmas Eve and Eve Eve are going to be a night full of hope as we celebrate the birth of Jesus. So who are you bringing? Because Jesus tells us to go and tell everybody about this good news. But the easiest way for us to live that out is to bring people here, right? which is biblical, by the way. One time when Jesus is beginning his ministry, somebody comes up to him and asks, what are you all about? Like, what are you trying to do? And do you know what Jesus says? He, he just says, come and see. And just come, come check this out. The next day, one of the people who had bumped into Jesus went up to another person and said, hey, you have to come check this guy out. He might be the one sent from God. And this friend responds like, what are you talking about? He says, I don't don't even know, man, Just, just come and see. The story we talked about with Jesus and the woman at the well. After encountering Jesus, she goes back into the town and she tells everyone that she had just met this guy. And she's honest, she says, I don't even know everything about him. I don't know everything that's going on, but you have to come and see over and over and over again. This is how people in the Bible introduce other people to Jesus, come and see. But it's not just biblical, it works. Church and faith in Jesus were not a part of my life growing up, like not even a little bit. Like I don't have that story where I went for a few years and we stopped going. We never even went. But when I was in middle school, a family moved in across the street. And after getting to know them, we learned that they moved from California because the dad had just been hired to be a worship pastor at a church plant. Now, my family had zero church understanding, and so we had no idea what a church plant was. We didn't know what a worship pastor was. The only thing we knew was that we weren't interested in church or Jesus, but they invited us. And without hesitation, we said no, because that is real life. But they asked us again, and we said no again. But a few weeks after that, they asked one more time. And when my parents asked them what to expect, or what's the catch, or why does it matter so much, all they said was, you got to come and see. And we did. And when we showed up that day, we weren't searching for Jesus. We didn't feel like anything was missing from our lives. But while we were there, we experienced him. And my life has never been the same. My family learning about the grace of God, learning about the life to the fullest that Jesus offers, learning about the unconditional love of a savior, that changed our lives forever. And over the next two years, my entire family and most of my extended family chose grace and was baptized because the Murrays invited us to church. But let me take this a little bit further. Many of you would say that this church has changed your life, that your marriage is stronger, because of what Jesus has done in this community. You would say that your self-worth is being healed because of what Jesus is doing in this church, that your faith has been restored because of what Jesus is doing in this church. I can confidently say that collective doesn't exist without Mike and Sarah Murray inviting my family to come and see. So for those of you who are skeptical about how these three words can change the world, just look around you. The most effective way, not the only way, but the most effective way, and honestly, it's the easiest way to change the world. It's to simply say, come and see. And that is why collective exists. That's why we call ourselves a church for the rest of us. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, so we're the church and we don't apologize for it. Scripture is our standard, Jesus is our savior, and we will trust and do whatever he asks us to do for the rest of our lives. But at the same time, Collective was started for people who don't do church. This church was started for people who have walked away from their faith, for people who are longing for grace. Collective exists to carry on Jesus's mission. So when your friend, or your parent, or when your kid is sitting next to you, you don't care about yourself at all. You just want them to get grace. So we say, come and see, because we believe that we have found the best thing ever, and we want to share that with everybody. Now here's the thing though, I suck at this. I do, I'm so bad at this. And so if you feel convicted, uh, don't worry. Like I'm, I'm right there with you, I'm preaching to myself just as much as I'm preaching to you all. I'm very bad at inviting people to church. I, it's something I've been working on, I'm trying to get better, but uh, I'm pretty terrible at it. In fact, a few weeks ago, uh, my oldest daughter, Elise, was telling my wife, Ray, about a new friend that she has at school that she really loves playing with. And so Elise told Ray that she wished she could spend more time with this new friend. And so they started to brainstorm ways that they could hang out. And Elise said, if she just came to collective, I could see her on Sundays too. How adorable is that? And so Ray said, you should invite her to church. But then Elise responded by saying, do you think I would be allowed to do that? I need to ask dad. Yeah. And so my wife was confused, so she asked, Elise, why do we have to ask Dad? And Elise said, I need to make sure he's okay with her coming to church. And so later that night when Ray told me that story, I realized that I'm the worst pastor on the planet. (laughs) My my children follow my lead. As a pastor, as a father, as a Christian, my my children follow my lead. And I've done a terrible job of showing my children how to invite. In fact, Elise is the most extroverted kid on the planet. And I've always wondered why she doesn't bring people to church with her. And it's because of me. Right? That, that's on me. Because I don't talk to them about how to say, come and see. I don't show them that I haven't shared my own story with them because I struggle with this. And so if you are in the same boat as I am, we want to help. Right? We want to give you some tools. And so over the next few weeks, just like every Christmas and every Easter, there will be invite cards on your seats. These are a tool to help you say, come and see when it comes to Christmas Eve. But taking this a step further, giving a little bit more help, we have bags of popcorn from the Popcorn House in Frederick for the adults to take. and We actually have hot chocolate bombs for the kids to take. Collective Kids knows all about this. So that when you leave today, you can grab those things to help you say, come and see, to invite people to experience grace. Think of this as an icebreaker, right? We're gonna give you all these things. All you have to do is take one step forward And you can grab as much as you want, but you have to promise me that it's to help you invite people to Christmas Eve. You're not gonna sit at home and stress eat because I stressed you out this morning, okay? (laughs) You don't need that. But here's a few other tips that will help. And I got these from from friends that invite really well at Collective. Here's what they said. They said, share why you follow Jesus to the person you're inviting. Share what Jesus has done in your own life while you do that. They said, share why you go to Collective, why you love this church. They said, go to the Christmas Eve service that best fits their schedule. Every year for the past five years, we have people go to multiple Christmas Eve services because the people they invite can't go to one, so they just go to all of them. That's great, you should do that. They said, make sure you have time to sit with them. Pray for them before, during, and after you invite. Last week, I got an email from a guy that goes here, and one of his best friends said he was coming to check out Collective, and he had the pro move of inviting him to brunch afterward. Do that, right? Buy them food, take them to lunch, have a conversation with them. Really, it's just be bold and ask. Because the thing is, what is the worst thing that could happen? They say no. Sure, and that stings. It always does. But that pales in comparison to the worst thing that could happen if you never have the courage to invite them at all, right? And let me just say one more thing about this. If collective isn't a church that you want to invite people to, you should go to a different church. And I'm being serious. As you're wrestling with this, is the reason why you're wrestling is because you don't feel comfortable inviting people here. Because you don't trust what this will be like or this experience or what worship will be like or what I'm gonna teach on. You need to find another church. Because I've worked at churches for a really long time. One of the things that breaks my heart the most is I've worked at some really good churches is they show up here when they invite people, but then they go to the other church the other Sundays. And you just can't do that. And I know that some of you actually double dip. And you go to Collective and you go to another church at the same time, sometimes on the same Sunday, which I don't understand, that sounds awful. Two church services, I'm not interested. (laughs) But here's the thing, you need to dig into the church that gives the people in your life who don't follow Jesus the best opportunity to experience grace. And if this isn't the place where that can happen, you should go to a different church. I'm being very serious about that. Because the people in your life, their eternities are way too important for you to be in a church where you can't invite people, where you can't say, come and see, where you don't wanna sit next to them and experience this with them. A few years ago, someone shared with me a video of Penn Gillette from Penn & Teller. They're the uh, magicians. He's the one that talks. He's the, the really tall one. And one thing about Penn is that he's a very outspoken atheist. And you see it all over social media, YouTube, all that stuff. But in this video, he told a story about a man who went to one of his shows. And after the shows, he did a meet and greet and he gifted Penn a Bible. And inside the Bible, this stranger wrote his phone number and his email address and told Penn, hey, if you read this and if you have questions, give me a call. And this really impacted Penn. And so he made this whole video sharing about how he was impressed with this man who was a Christian. But then he did something that absolutely hit me right in the gut. Penn went on and called out Christians who don't share their faith. He called out Christians who don't invite people to experience Jesus. He called out Christians who keep grace to themselves. And he said this, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Let that sink in for a moment. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? And this is coming from someone who doesn't even believe in Jesus. So if we believe that heaven is real and hell is real and grace is real, how much do we have to hate somebody to believe all of this is true and not do everything we can to help them experience grace and eternity in heaven? because it's one thing to say that we want to bring the good news and great joy to all people. It's a completely other to actually do it, right? It's another thing to actually say, come and see. Now, I wanna go back and read one of the main passages one more time, Revelation 21.8, I wanna read this again. It says this, but cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And when I read this, and I'm sure when we read it the first time, maybe we skip right over parts of this because it's easy to write a lot of this off because it mentions things like idol worshipers. And I doubt many of us bow down to a crystal or a rock this week. It mentions those who practice witchcraft. The closest I've ever gotten to that is reading Harry Potter with my seven-year-old. It mentions murderers, which I think we can all agree that murder is a bad thing. So it's easy to skip over these people. It's easy to write all of this off, and that's what we do to justify ourselves. I don't worship idols, I haven't cast any spells on anybody this week. I I thought about murdering that person that cut me off in traffic, but I didn't do it, so I'm doing all right. But look at the first word, it's cowards. And this is not a word that we use very much because we don't live in the wild, wild west, but it's an insult. And here's the thing. As I read this, and I've wrestled with this for over a year, if I'm being honest with myself, I think of me. Because when I am around somebody, and I don't say come and see, I am a coward. And when I make excuses for why people won't want to be here, I am a coward. And when I choose my own comfort over the potential hurt of someone saying no and what that feels like, I am a coward. And when I rationalize that I'm an introvert, or that when people find out that I'm a Christian, it makes things weird, or I don't know that many people, or that my life is just so busy that I'm exempt from living out what Jesus commanded and telling everyone about grace. If I say those things, I am a coward. And I don't want to be that. Now, I will always need grace. So I fight my insecurity, and I fight my pride, and I fight my arrogance, anything that gives me the easy way out but what I really want to do is I want to be like the Murrays because they changed my life. They changed my family's life. They changed my kids' lives. They changed your lives. And so my question for you collective is this. I think we wanna change the world. I genuinely think we do. I think we want the people in our life to experience grace. I think we want people that we love to know what endless second chances feels like. But are we trying hard enough? And I don't know how successful you'll be when you say, come and see. Maybe in two weeks, you'll get to baptize somebody. Maybe in two years, you won't have anybody take you up on the offer. Maybe 20 years from now, one of their kids will start a church for the rest of us. I don't know. But we are not judged based on someone else's fruitfulness. We are judged on our faithfulness. And I believe, collective, that we can change the world God did not bring us this far as a church to settle, to get comfortable, to go through the motions. I believe we are here in this city for such a time as this. And we can fill up hours and hours of great stories of our past. God has done incredible things in this church. But what I believe right now is that God is thinking of our future. He's not thinking about the baptism that was. He's thinking about the one of the friend that you're going to invite, and you'll be able to be up there with them in this trough. I believe... God has been working throughout your friend's entire lifetime for you to say the words, Come and see. Because they have that longing. And they're going through Christmas thinking, There has to be something more to this. And we have it. We have the good news that brings great joy to all people. The question is, What are we going to do about that? Let's pray. God, I think a lot of us uh, would say, we are just so thankful for grace. God, we are so thankful for your unconditional love. God, we're so thankful for forgiveness. Um, God, I think a lot of us would say it changed our lives. It changed our family's lives, changed our friends' lives. God, we've experienced this. But God, this thing that changed our life, for, for some reason, it's really hard to share it with other people And at the same time, we want this for the people in our life. We want our friends to experience this. We want our family to experience this. We want our neighbors to know what grace feels like. But you ask us to be the ones that bring it to them. And that stops us. And so, God, I I pray as we go through this Christmas season, um, God, as we wrestle with this idea of how to change the world, God, I pray uh, that grace isn't just something that we love and enjoy and want for ourselves, but it's something that we understand everybody needs because it's life changing. So God, I just pray this week um, that you give us the courage to invite, to say, come and see. God, I pray that you give me uh, the courage to lead by example, um, to put myself out there, not just for my family, but for this church. Um, God, I pray that um, you give us the strength to, to stand back up when there's rejection, when, um, you know, when someone says no, and, and really the courage to, to keep asking. Because God, you have given us this good news that brings great joy to all people, not just some people, all people, but then you tasked us with bringing it into the world. So God, I pray this week that we, that we get an opportunity to do that. Give us open doors, give us good opportunities, give us strength, give us courage, give us margin uh, so we can pray before, during, and after. Um, ultimately, God, the thing that we're praying for the most is the people that we love who don't know you, uh, when they put their faith in you, and we get to celebrate that uh, together. God, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for the challenge. Thank you for pushing us. We love you and pray this in your name. Amen.